Welcome to Warsaw Evangelical Presbyterian Church's podcast. We'd love to worship with you today. my first time preaching, and uh, we'll see how this goes. And some of you may be thinking, how did we ever get to this point? (laughs) But I have to tell you, many of you are are at least partially to blame for that. Uh, This church has been great. Uh, Melissa, my wife Melissa and I came here about 20 years ago, and, um, you know, there's just been a series of events uh, through that time frame that have kind of led me to this point. And so uh, it, it kind of started in, in 2003. Uh, Tammy Schultz was having a uh, Sunday school class on Matthew. Do you guys remember Tammy Schultz? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, she's a, a gifted Bible teacher and a Sunday school teacher, among other things here at the church, and a, a professor at, at Grace. And uh, we were really fortunate to have her. And uh, I started going to this Matthew class kind of kind of toward the end of the class as we were getting close to, s- to the summertime. And um, I really connected with that class, and it was kind of like my eyes were open. You know, I, I had been to a lot of Bible studies and Sunday school classes and so on in the past, but um, that was kind of the first time when I really started having a desire to study the Word seriously. And so, um, you know, it started there, and uh, then the classes ended. It was summertime, and Melissa said, my wife Melissa said, you know, Robbie, why don't you start going to Gus's lunchtime Bible studies, and, and uh, they had those on Mondays and Thursdays, and so I started going to that, and that Bible study was great. It, it put uh, people that spent significant time each day in the Word before me, uh, mature, mature Christians, uh, good examples for me, people I get asked questions to, uh, Gus Sedaris, Al Sumter, Doug Shue, and then uh, Jim Reisler took over that group. And so, you know, the Lord used those, those men to, to grow me. And then, um, you know, not, not too long after that, uh, I started co-teaching some Sunday school classes with, with both Tammy and Gus. They'd kind of teach alongside me. And then eventually I was teaching my own Sunday school classes and I tell, you, I tell you all this because this church, you know, provided that framework, provided the opportunities for me to grow in my faith. And this is kind of the, the next step in that. So um, as we go on here, um, I think the only appropriate thing for us to do at this point is pray. Dear Father, I thank you for this church. and I thank you for how you have used it in my own life. I pray that the words that I say today are pleasing to you. I pray that your Holy Spirit is at work individually in all the people here so that they hear what you want them to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we are right in the middle of the Identity Sermon series, and uh, I'm going to pick off where Pastor Aaron left off um, a couple weeks ago. We had our our meeting in the park last week, but the week before that he was in uh, Ephesians. And Ephesians is an interesting book. Because the, the first three chapters of it uh, 
cover a lot of doctrine. And then in chapter 4, where we are now, it talks about uh, practical Christian living. And so we're going to cover a lot of that today. If you, if you have the identity of a Christian, this is what it should look like. So that's what we're going to be covering today. And since it's been a couple weeks since we have been in Ephesians, I thought it would be kind of a, a good time to take a step back and kind of review some of the basics with Ephesians. Uh, like many of his epistles, uh, Paul was writing this letter to the Ephesians from prison. And when, when I say prison, it was kind of a minimum security prison or sort of like a, maybe a house arrest type situation. He, he had some freedom in there. And so he used that time while he was in Rome to write letters to the church, churches to build them up. And one of these letters was to the church in Ephesus. Um, Ephesus was uh, a very prominent city back then. Uh, it was the capital of the Roman province of Asia, which is modern-day Turkey. And um, it was a center of commerce because it was at an intersection of uh, some major trade routes. And then it also had a uh, canal harbor that led to the Aegean Sea. So yeah, it, good for logistics. Uh, it had both the... The, the foot logistics and also the, the maritime logistics. So, uh, you know, when you ever have this much commerce going on, it was an area of, of affluence. And um, it was also well known for its architectural structures. Had the uh, Temple of Artemis or Diana, the Greek and Roman gods, very famous for that. And Paul spent a, a short time in Ephesus. Uh, in his second missionary journey, and then he came back to it in his third missionary journey and spent three years there. So, significant time. Um, so now, in, in this section of scripture, uh, Paul talks a lot about sin, and, and I know that can be an uncomfortable topic. So, just know this, my intention is not to beat you up. My intention is not to, to judge you, but I would encourage you to judge yourselves in light of God's word as we, as we go through it today. And if there's anything that, that you need to address, that's, that's between you and God. So let's, let's get started. Let's uh, dig in. We are in Ephesians 4, 17 through 32. So I'll let you guys uh, pull that up. All right. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. They are full of greed that, however, was not, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him according with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness." 
Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others, others up according to their needs, and that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. All right, that's the reading of God's Word. So now that we've been through this text, let's kind of take it verse by verse. Uh, For preaching to be preaching, there has to be uh, urging for you to do something or a, a call to action. This is known as exhorting or exhortation. And that's what makes preaching different than teaching. In teaching, you're learning the facts. Like the ninth commandment, we shouldn't lie. That's, that's the fact, right? But in, when, you, when you exhort somebody, when you preach, you are um, encouraging them not to lie and warning of the consequences of what lying brings and those kinds of things. So uh, really, Paul's whole letter... Uh, is, is uh, he's exhorting the Ephesians um, to do certain things. So that made the job a whole lot easier for me as far as exhortation goes because he's already doing that. So what my job becomes as we go through this passage is just making sure that we um, understand what Paul is trying to say. So let's, let's go through it. I've, I've broken this, this uh, passage into, into three divisions. How non-Christians live, that's the old self, how Christians are different, the new self, and trading sin for godly living. This is kind of the outline I've got in the bulletin. But I believe that the main idea of this, this whole passage, if, you know, if there's one thing you take away from this today, it's really in the, in the very first uh, verse of the passage. If you look at 17, So I tell you this, and insist on in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. So, th- so the main idea... You must no longer live as the Gentiles do. So let's, let's take a look at the, what, that, what that means. Let's, we'll define some terms here. Generally speaking, Gentiles uh, in the Bible are, are non-Jews. And that would apply to nearly all of Paul's audience here. They were uh, converted Gentiles. And um, in this case... Um, Primarily, uh, he's talking to, to non-Jews um, and Gentiles. Depending on your Bible translation, this may also be translated as unbelieving Gentiles, pagans, heathen men, or people who do not believe in God. So when we see that Gentiles, we're talking about non-believers here. And this is a strong statement uh, by Paul. You know, usually in his writings, he he tells us to do something or not to do something, but that's not exactly the way he does it here. If you look, it says uh, he insists on it. 
So I tell you this, and insist on it. And then he adds, in the Lord, as if it's, it's coming from the Lord's word himself. Notice that he also says, must. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do. This is not optional. Christians must stop living and thinking as worldly people do. Thinking of worldly things is useless or futile and leads to nothing. That's what he's getting at in the futility of their thinking. Paul is concerned that some of the church is living sinfully, and it is not an option to remain in this sin. We are to be holy, a holy set-apart people. We should live differently than non-Christians. So what are worldly things? Anything that does not, is not uh, building God's eternal kingdom. Things that are temporary that will only matter in this world. Described elsewhere in the Bible and the songs we sang this morning uh, as darkness. Generally speaking, an element of selfishness is included in worldly things. So as you evaluate yourself, just, you know, are, am, I, am I being worldly here? Uh, ask yourself, is there a selfish element to this? What do I get out of this? Paul talks about the futility of the unbeliever's thinking. And we need to keep this in mind when we're witnessing to unbelievers. They don't know what they don't know. They haven't seen or experienced the light. But we have. And now that we have, we're not ignorant. We need to live differently. In the next, the next verse, it says, They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Paul is going to describe the Gentiles or the pagans here for the next couple of verses. What causes the ignorance that is in them? It's the hardening of their heart that is causing the ignorance, lack of understanding and separation from God. If they would humble themselves before God, he would give them wisdom, but they don't, and consequently, they have ignorance. If we look at Psalm 25, 9, there we go. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. So if they were humble before God, he would teach them his way and they wouldn't be ignorant. They've hardened their hearts, though. The next verse, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Sensory adaptation is a phenomenon where there is a reduction in sensitivity to a stimulus after constant exposure to it. And all five of our senses are prone to it. So an example of this uh, for smell. Uh, when you walk into an Italian restaurant, it may smell, you have a heavy garlic smell or something like that. And, uh, but once you're there for a while, you, you don't notice it anymore, right? Or, or what about touch? You know, when you jump into a pool, it feels really cold at first, right? But once you've been in it a while, you get used to it. It doesn't, doesn't bother you. Taste may adapt over time to spicy foods. Um, sight, you know, our eyes are constantly adjusting to the brightness. When we walk out to a bright, outside from a dark room into a bright area, it kind of hurts our eyes for a while, but then they adjust, right? Hearing. Uh, a barking dog. Uh, might be an, a good example of this. For, for as non-dog owners, my, my wife Melissa and I are pretty sensitive to dog barking. 
but I know that uh, many dog owners don't even hear when their dogs bark because they're just they're so used to it, right? Um, so those are some examples of sensory adaptation, and as it turns out, our conscience also adapts to exposure to a stimulus. Our conscience is our knowledge of right and wrong. The more that we sin, the less sensitive we are to our own sin. The more that we are around sin, the more likely we are to absorb it and tolerate it. The less we sin, the more sensitive we are uh, to sin. And a, a great example of this is, is Paul, the Apostle Paul. Uh, he's a model for all of us in Christian living. Yet, uh, he calls himself the chief sinner or the worst sinner in 1 Timothy 1.15. Why is that? Because his lifestyle makes him very sensitive to the sin in his life. It says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ came into the world to save sinners. That's the gospel message in a nutshell right there. Jesus died for sinners. And then he said, this is the kicker, of whom I am the worst you know, Paul considers himself the worst because he is so sensitive to his own sin, because he's getting the sin out of his life, and he's becoming more sensitive to it. Paul continues in 1 Timothy 4.2 to speak of sin searing our conscience. When we disregard our conscience, it is seared and becomes less sensitive, just as when we sear a steak on a hot grill, and you get that kind of uh, tough outer layer on it. Uh, our, our conscience is the same way. So we don't want to violate our conscience. God gave it to us for a reason, and the Holy Spirit uses it to guide us. So we want to be as sensitive as possible to, to our conscience. We need to watch our inputs, what we allow ourselves to see and hear. If our inputs are worldly, our outputs will be also. Let's go on to verse 20. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Now we shift into the, the second division of this passage. Christians are different. Paul is concerned of Christians slipping back into the sinful ways of their former way of life. They have gotten away from their Christian teaching. It gets back to what we talked about earlier. Now that we know, we need to live differently. We don't have that excuse that the unbeliever has. Hebrews 2.1 says, we must, pay, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. Drifting away is a very real risk for Christians is often so slow that we don't even notice it. Sin builds on sin. And you're going to hear me say that throughout this, this sermon. Sin builds on sin. We see example after example. 22, you were taught with regard to the former, your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitudes of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul uses this illustration of taking off old clothes and being clothed with Christ or the new self at least three other times in the New Testament. 
and Colossians 3, 9, and 10, Galatians 3, 26, and 27, and Romans 13, 12 through 14. So Colossians, Galatians, and Romans. So it's a, it's a familiar illustration for him to use. You know, when a, a soldier or a fireman or a policeman or a football player takes off uh, his street clothes where he looks just like everyone else and puts on his respective uniform, there are new expectations and responsibilities corresponding to his identity. Just as when a Christian puts off his corrupt clothes uh, of the old self and puts on the new self, there are new expectations and responsibilities corresponding to his identity. This passage talks about deceitful desires. Sin is deceitful and fails to deliver on its promises while it corrupts the individual in the process. There are always consequences for sin. You may think you have gotten away with it, but you haven't. If nothing else, it will make it easier for you to sin the next time. When you didn't get caught speeding on your last trip out of town, doesn't that make it easier to speed the next time? Maybe even a little faster? Pretty soon, breaking the law becomes your habit. Sin builds on sin. You have to take action when dealing with sin. Put on the new self. So this brings us to our first application. When people look at you, how do they see someone living differently than the Gentiles? When people look at you, how do they see someone living differently than the Gentiles? I say other people here not because we want to try to impress others, but oftentimes because we are pretty lenient or even blind when it comes to evaluating ourselves. Todd Friel is the host of Wretched Radio. This is one of the podcasts that I listen to on a regular basis. And on Wednesdays, he has Witness Wednesdays. And he will go to a college campus and walk around and just strike up a conversation with somebody he sees walking from class to class or having lunch or something like that. And he records it and, and puts it uh, uh, on the radio. And so you can listen to it. And it's, it's very interesting. Sometimes he will walk up on a group of students, and when he starts talking about the things of God, one of them will say, oh, I'm a Christian. And so then he asks them, so is God number one in your life? And they always say, oh, yeah, God's number one. And he says, well, what if I ask your friends here? Would they say the same thing? And often, so often, they, they'll say something, I didn't even know you were religious. Or, or, or I would have said your car is the, the number one thing in your life. Or, or, or your family or helping others. It is never God. And, and that is shocking to the people as they listen to this. You know, it's, it's eye-opening. They can see that, wow, maybe God isn't number one in my life. It's not evident to other people. And so, um, you know, I, I just, how would other people see you? Which brings us to our second application. What areas of your life are you still clinging to the old self? What areas of your life are you still clinging to the old self? These are not rhetorical questions, by the way. <laughs> I'm asking these for a reason. And, and uh, you know, I, I'd encourage you, you know, I, I didn't put like fill in the blank outlines in the bulletin. 
But I would encourage you, if something comes to mind as we're going through all this, write it down. Because it's, it's so easy for us to think of something and then quickly forget it. And if you can come back to it as something to address with the Lord, um, I think you'll grow as a result. So that's, I'm going to encourage you to do that. Write it down. And if you haven't, if nothing's come to mind yet, maybe it will as we, as we go on here and uh, cover the next section about trading sin for godly living. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. There's an old saying that whenever we see a therefore, we should ask, what is it there for? And what it's doing here is it's connecting the previous section to this section that we're about to talk about. Paul explains how to shed the old self and put on the new self by addressing two sins, Deception, or falsehood, and lying, not speaking truthfully to your neighbor. Oftentimes, we craft a message being careful not to technically lie, but it is sinful to deceive even if we don't lie. Act with integrity. And while on the topic of deception, there, there are exceptions to this, but in general, if you have to sneak around, you're probably sinning. We like to keep our sins a secret. Is there anything that you are trying to keep a secret? Proverbs 28:13 says, "Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy." In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. So the in the NIV footnote for that tells us that Paul is quoting from Psalm 4.4. And there is a connection between anger and self-control. And Proverbs 29.11 shows us this connection. A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. Anger in itself is not sinful, but it can tempt us to sin. We need to deal with it right away, before the sun goes down. This is pretty, pretty standard premarital counseling. If you guys have that, you know, don't let the sun go down if you had an arg argument. Uh, anger tends to fester into sin when we do not deal with it immediately. And remember, sin builds on sin. If you are replaying the situation in your head or trying to formulate, you know, how you could get back or, or say something that would get the person or, or whatever, you're, you're probably sinning. Uh, the earlier that you realize that, the better. And the earlier that you take it to the Lord, the better. No anger should outlast the day. One way to evaluate your own anger is to ask yourself if you have a forgiving heart. Proverbs 20, 22. Do not say, I'll pay back this wrong. Wait for the Lord, and he will deliver you. Anyone who has been caught, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. We may read this and quickly move on, thinking, I would never steal from my neighbor. But let's, let's take a look at steering, uh, stealing a little bit more carefully. What is stealing? 
taking something that is not yours without permission. We often think of possessions, but it goes beyond that. Have you ever not corrected a restaurant bill when they forgot to include a drink? That's stealing. Taken music off the internet, or in my day, created a mixtape? Uh, when we were in China, bootleg movies were everywhere and, and fake designer clothes. And you know, I didn't realize it right away, but that's, that's stealing because uh, the person that deserves the money is not the one that's getting the money. It's, you're stealing from that person. Uh, taken, have you ever taken anything from work or school? Use the work printer for non-work-related things. Taken a longer break than is allowed. Or surf the internet when you're supposed to be working. Uh, have you ever, sneaking out of work without taking a vacation day, you're stealing. Cheating is often taking something from someone else and claiming it as your own. Plagiarism is stealing someone else's work. We tend to be really good at justifying theft. By the way, this list was pretty easy for me to come up with because I am guilty of all of them. Paul says that we must work. We may be at different stages in our lives so that the work looks different, but we don't always have something, but don't we always have something that we could be sharing with others? Jesus in Matthew 25:26 associates laziness with wickedness. Idleness leads to other sins. Again, sin builds on sin. We need to orient our thinking so that we work to build up other people and not just ourselves. And that assignment is not over until we die. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Okay, so what is unwholesome talk? Lying, deception, slander, profanity, these are kind of the basics that usually come to mind first, but what about gossip? Uh, Gus Sedaris had a, a definition of gossip that's kind of stuck with me. He used to say, uh, gossip is confessing someone else's sin. <laughs> and it's so true, right? I mean, that's what we're doing is we're telling what somebody else has done, you know. Uh, and, and gossip, I've even seen it in the form of a prayer request, so we have to be careful of that also. Um, you know, more unwholesome talk. Cheating in school or uh, in your work. That's, that's deception. Not keeping promises. Betrayal of a confidence. Complaining. I have to watch myself on that one. I am definitely prone to complain. Excuses. Not owning up to what you have done. Exaggerating. The exaggerating is a big one with uh, social media now. Or, or resumes. Sometimes they are uh, enhanced uh, beyond what is really the truth. Uh, bragging, flattery, abusive speech, rage-filled yelling, dirty jokes, innuendos, blasphemy, using the, the Lord's name in vain, sowing discord or stirring the pot, uh, backstabbing. So that's a list. Maybe some of you can identify with some of those. But here's, here's the kicker, Matthew, 20, uh, Matthew 12, 36. But I tell you that everyone... This is pretty inclusive here, everyone. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment 
for every empty word they have spoken. That's a tough verse. David figured this out and prayed in Psalm 141.3. Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. I love listening to, to Pastor Andrew. Pastor Andrew is a good example for all of us when it comes to choosing his words. It's clear in his sermons, but it's also clear when you're, when you're talking with him in conversations. He is, he's very thoughtful when he speaks, and he often pauses before he speaks so he can get the wording just right. And, you know, I need to be more like that. You know, so often our society values like a, a, a quick-wittedness or a, a quick response and so on, but so often that gets us into trouble. So uh, I just love listening to Andrew, and he's a good example for us. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. This is a good eternal security verse. When we repent and put our trust in Jesus alone for our salvation, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It is our guarantee of salvation. We are sealed until the day of redemption after we die. He lives in us, and we have access to him at any time. But what that means is we have access to him at any time. Uh, he's with us all the time. So when we're sinning, we're actually dragging that Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, through that sin with us. And that, that grieves the Holy Spirit and uh, causing disappointment or maybe even regret. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Where are you harboring resentment towards someone? Do you have ill will or evil intent towards someone? Paul says to get rid of it. That means for good, not just setting it aside and coming back to it later. You know, it seems like whenever somebody gets married in a family, there is a time of unstableness, you know, uh, while everyone is kind of learning the roles of the family and, and who does what and so on. And it was no different for, for me when my brother got married. Uh, we had a really bad disagreement, my brother and I. And, uh, you know, talking through it, speaking through it was just getting us nowhere. So what I decided was I was going to craft up a real zinger of an email and send that to him. And I, I was careful to, to lay out every way that he had wronged our family. Very careful in this email. Fortunately, I never hit send. It, but I left that email in my draft file for years before I got rid of it. You know, I guess I, I thought maybe I would need to come back to it someday. I, I would need it for evidence. Or, or if I ever really needed to get him, you know, I would use this or something. And it wasn't until years later that I actually got rid of it, erased the thing. Uh, but if you're harboring something like this, I, I'd encourage you just let it go. Let, let the Lord handle it. So, so let's wrap this up. Are you living like a Gentile? Stop it. <laughs> what sin could you ask God, God's help to turn from this week? It's, it's a very Bible study fellowship type question. What could you do this week 
And, and as, as they've announced in the announcements, Bible Study Fellowship starting on Monday. So if any of you men are, are uh, a week from Monday, if any of you men are interested in that, see me after the sermon. Uh, so um, what could you do this week to turn from, from uh, the sin that's in your life? I hope that the Holy Spirit has caused some things to come to mind for you as, uh, regarding this text, things we, that you might be able to work on. We work on these things to be obedient. We work on these things to please the Lord. We in no way work on these things to earn our salvation. We will only be successful in these things with the help of the Holy Spirit. So that's a tough message and a tough assignment. The good news is that God knew that we couldn't stop it. He knew that we couldn't stop living like the Gentiles. So Christ, he sent his son Christ to, to come, and he lived a sinless life that we cannot. And he paid the price on the cross for us uh, when he died. And then, then he rose again, and he reigns today. And because of that, uh, we, can have, we can have eternal life, and we can, we can uh, have the, the new bodies that we've been talking about. There's two things we need to do. We need to repent. That's turn from sin. That's just what we talked about in the, in the whole sermon today is turning from sin. We need to turn from sin, and we need to put our faith in Jesus alone for our salvation, not any of the efforts that we may do, not any efforts from any other gods or anything else, in Jesus alone. And, and the Lord's Supper that we're about to partake is, is a reminder of that, of what Jesus did for us. So as we, as we transition into the Lord's Supper... Uh, Terry Tyler is going to come up, but why don't I go ahead and close us in prayer. Dear Father, I hope that the things that I said today are pleasing to you. I pray for your Holy Spirit to be at work in each of the people here. I pray that uh, as we leave here, Lord, we, we focus on you and all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.